The question of who controls the ability to merge code changes into Bitcoin Core's GitHub repository tends to come up on a recurring basis. This has been cited as a, quote, central point of control of the Bitcoin protocol by various parties over the years. But I argue that the question itself is a red herring that stems from an authoritarian perspective. This model does not apply to Bitcoin. It's certainly not obvious to a layman as to why that is the case. Thus, the goal of this article is to explain how Bitcoin Core operates, and at a higher level, how the Bitcoin protocol itself evolves. The best in Bitcoin made audible. I am Guy Swan, and this is Bitcoin Audible. What is up, guys? Welcome back to Bitcoin Audible. I'm Guy Swan, the guy who has read more about Bitcoin than anybody else you know. And we've got a little read today. Uh, this is one from Jameson Lop. So I've been working with Jameson to do some audio for a lot of his older pieces, not on the show, but just for just so that he has it for his website and for when he wants to share those articles out to people that they can listen to it. Um, I don't uh, I do not sell articles on the show, but uh, I do have there are a number of well, frankly, a lot of what he writes is really good. Um, and this one in particular is uh, there's a lot of FUD about Bitcoin being centralized and trying to twist certain elements of Bitcoin. And I'm not saying that there aren't um, certain pressures or there, there aren't problems to fix, but some of the ways they twist some of the data or some of the characteristics of things and the software and all this stuff to try to make it seem like there's some centralized body making decisions and ignoring so much of the history and direct evidence in contradiction to those claims. It comes up often enough that I think it's worth dedicating an episode uh, to at least a lot of the major ones that come up over and over again. And one that I hear pretty frequently from all the Bitcoin forks, that, uh, the people in the Bitcoin forks who are insanely butthurt that the development and community and general trajectory of Bitcoin did not align to what they wanted. Um, and then also, obviously, just crypto in general that's constantly trying to sell itself as better than Bitcoin. And, you know, in, in an effort to defend their own centralization, they essentially try to play the, oh, what about Bitcoin and paint, paint themselves as if they're the same as Bitcoin and that Bitcoin is centralized. And Jameson Lop just has a really good breakdown. And the situation is nuanced enough. Like, it's so difficult to kind of understand without actually being a part of it or without witnessing it yourself. If you're just adopting whatever, you know, the shortest, sweetest tweet that defends your argument, you're never going to have a foundational understanding of anything. And unfortunately, a lot of people establish their opinions that way. But it is what it is. And the best that we can do is explain. And that is what we are going to do in today's episode. Let's do a quick thank you for our sponsors and then we will jump into the read. So I was on the Swamp Creatures podcast yesterday and uh, one thing that I actually got to show them was my tap signer because I had it right there in my wallet and Rob had heard about it but never really seen it. It literally is a credit card. The, the entire hardware wallet is an NFC chip inside the card. So it just slides in my wallet 
like any of my other deb like my full debit card or any of the other cards that I carry around with me. And I literally can use it with my nunchuck wallet to just tap my wallet whenever I want to sign a transaction. That is the magic of NFC. And the cold card itself, the cold card Mark IV and the coming soon cold card Q1, both have NFC so that you can just tap your cold card to your phone. CoinKite has so many amazing products and means of securing and making use of your Bitcoin, and I highly encourage checking it out. And you get a 9% discount if you use code Bitcoin Audible. But you know, where are you going to get the Bitcoin to secure on your cold card or your tap signers? Well, one of my favorite ways is Fold. And I also, this is such a great way to stack for people who are new because you just get a debit card that gets you sats back on all of the things that you buy. So your groceries, your bills, anything that you'd use with this debit card, you get 1% back plus free spins to just, to just get extra sats every day. And then for your auto stack, for your automatic savings plan and automatically having Bitcoin sent straight to your cold card and for getting it into your IRA or to set up an IRA incredibly quickly and have real Bitcoin in it, not paper Bitcoin, Swan Bitcoin. Not only are they a phenomenal educational resource and a great team with so many, I mean, if you are onboarding into Bitcoin, if you are getting into Bitcoin, please don't go anywhere else. Just go to swanbitcoin.com slash guy. For everybody who is not in North Carolina right now, I'm very sorry for those of us trapped in North Carolina, but I have trust that they, they're working with people and they're trying to get a way around it. And I'm holding out hope that I won't really have to change my setup much and it will just be a couple of weeks and we'll be back in action. But check them out and go to swanbitcoin.com slash guy for my special link that lets them know I sent you and is a really easy, free way to support the show. In fact, I got special links and discounts for all the sponsors mentioned right there in the show notes. So all you have to do is look in the description and it's all right there for your convenience if you ever need it. With that, let's get into today's read. And it's titled, Who Controls Bitcoin Core? by Jameson Lopp. Understanding how the focal point of Bitcoin development operates. The question of who controls the ability to merge code changes into Bitcoin Core's GitHub repository tends to come up on a recurring basis. This has been cited as a, quote, central point of control of the Bitcoin protocol by various parties over the years. But I argue that the question itself is a red herring that stems from an authoritarian perspective. This model does not apply to Bitcoin. It's certainly not obvious to a layman as to why that is the case. Thus, the goal of this article is to explain how Bitcoin Core operates and, at a higher level, how the Bitcoin protocol itself evolves. The History of Bitcoin Core Bitcoin Core is a focal point for development of the Bitcoin protocol, rather than a point of command and control. If it ceased to exist for any reason, a new focal point would emerge. The technical communications platform upon which it's based, currently the GitHub repository, is a matter of convenience rather than one of definition or project integrity. In fact, we already have seen Bitcoin's focal point for development change platforms and even names. 
in early 2009, the source code for the Bitcoin project was simply a .rar file hosted on SourceForge. Early developers would actually exchange code patches with Satoshi via email. On October 30th, 2009, Sirius, or Marty Malmi, created a subversion repository for the Bitcoin project on SourceForge. In 2011, the Bitcoin project migrated from SourceForge to GitHub. In 2014, the Bitcoin project was renamed to Bitcoin Core. Trust no one. While there are a handful of GitHub maintainer accounts at the organization level that have the ability to merge code into the master branch, this is more of a janitorial function than a position of power. If anyone could merge into master, it would very quickly turn into a too-many-cooks-in-the-kitchen scenario. Bitcoin Core follows principles of least privilege, that any power bestowed to individuals is easily subverted if it is abused. Quote, Core is transparent about the list that matters, the PGP keys that can sign merge commits. The lesson to be learned here is not to trust GitHub. Even Bitcoin Core doesn't know the full list of people who can change the repo, as that extends to probably dozens of GitHub employees. Peter Todd October 4th, 2018. From an adversarial perspective, GitHub cannot be trusted. Any number of GitHub employees could use their administrative privileges to inject code into the repository without consent from the maintainers. But it's unlikely that a GitHub attacker would also be able to compromise the PGP key of a Bitcoin Core maintainer. Rather than base the integrity of the code off of GitHub accounts, Bitcoin Core has a continuous integration system that performs checks of trusted PGP keys that must sign every merge commit. While these keys are tied to known entities, it's still not safe to assume that it will always be the case. A key could be compromised, and we wouldn't know unless the original key owner notified the other maintainers. As such, the commit keys do not provide perfect security either. They just make it more difficult for an attacker to inject arbitrary code. The Keys to the Kingdom At the time of writing, these are the trusted PGP fingerprints. The keys are registered to Vladimir J. Vanderlaan, Peter Wella, Jonas Schnelli, Marco Falk, and Samuel Dobson. Does this mean that we are trusting these five people? Not quite. Keys are not a proof of identity. These keys could potentially fall into the hands of other people. What assurances do you really get if you run the Verify Commits Python script? The Verify Commits script is an integrity check that any developer can run on their machine. When executed, it checks the PGP signature on every single merge commit since commit 82BCF405 blah blah in December 2015. Over 3,400 mergers at time of writing. If the script completes successfully, it tells us that every line of code that has been changed since that point has passed through the Bitcoin Core development process and been signed off by someone with a maintainer key. While this is not a bulletproof guarantee that no one has injected malicious code, a maintainer could go rogue or have their keys stolen, it reduces the attack surface for doing so enormously. What are maintainers and how did they attain this role? We'll dig into that a bit later.
Layered Security The integrity of Bitcoin Core's code must not rely solely upon a handful of cryptographic keys, which is why there are a multitude of other checks in place. There are many layers of security here to provide defense in depth. Pull Request Security 1. Anyone is free to propose code changes to improve the software by opening a pull request against the master branch on Bitcoin slash Bitcoin. 2. Developers review pull requests to ensure that they are not harmful. Anyone is free to review pull requests and provide feedback. There is no gatekeeper or entrance exam when it comes to contributing to Bitcoin Core. If a pull request gets to the point that there are no reasonable objections to it being merged, a maintainer makes the merge. 3. Core maintainers set this pre-push hook to ensure that they don't push unsigned commits into the repository. 4. Merge commits are optionally securely timestamped via open timestamps. 5. The Travis Continuous Integration System regularly runs this script to check the integrity of the Git tree, the history, and to verify that all commits in the master branch were signed with one of the trusted PGP keys. And 6. Anyone who wants to can run this script to verify the PGP signatures on all of the merge commits going back to December 2015. I ran it while writing this article and it took 25 minutes to complete on my laptop. Release Security 1. Deterministic build systems are run independently by multiple developers with the goal of creating identical binaries. If someone manages to create a build that doesn't match the builds of other developers, it's a sign that non-determinism was introduced and thus the final release isn't going to happen. If there is non-determinism, developers track down what went wrong, fix it, then build another release candidate. Once a deterministic build has succeeded, then the developers sign the resulting binaries, guaranteeing that the binaries and toolchain were not tampered with and that the same source was used. This method removes the build and distribution process as a single point of failure. Anyone with the technical skills can run their own build system. For versions prior to v21 Bitcoin Core, used these instructions for Gishian. Newer releases use these instructions for GUIX. 2. Once the builds have completed successfully and been signed off by the builders, a Bitcoin Core maintainer will PGP sign a message with the SHA-256 hashes of each build. If you decide to run a pre-built binary, you can check its hash after downloading and then verify the authenticity of the signed release message with the hashes. Instructions for doing so can be found here. 3. All of the above is open source and auditable by anyone with the skills and desire to do so. 4. Finally, even after going through all the above quality and integrity checks, code that is committed into Bitcoin Core and eventually rolled into a release is not deployed out onto the network of nodes by any centralized organization. Rather, each node operator must make a conscious decision to update the code they run. Bitcoin Core deliberately does not include an auto-update feature, since it could potentially be used to make users run code that they didn't explicitly choose.
Despite all of the technical security measures that are implemented by the Bitcoin Core project, none of them are perfect, and any of them can theoretically be compromised. The last line of defense for the integrity of Bitcoin Core's code is the same as any other open-source project. Constant vigilance. The more eyes that are reviewing Bitcoin Core's code, the less likely that malicious or flawed code will make it into a release. Code Coverage Bitcoin Core has a lot of testing code. There is an integration test suite that runs against every PR and an extended test suite that runs every night on master. You can check the code coverage of the test yourself by 1. Cloning the Bitcoin Core GitHub repository 2. Installing the required dependencies for building from source 3. Running these commands and 4. Viewing the report at dot slash total coverage slash index dot html. Alternatively, you can view the coverage report Marco Falk hosts here. Having such a high level of test coverage means that there is a higher level of certainty that the code functions as intended. Testing is a big deal when it comes to consensus critical software. For particularly complex changes, developers sometimes perform painstaking mutation testing, that is, they test the tests by purposefully breaking the code and seeing if the tests fail as expected. Greg Maxwell gave some insight into this process when he discussed the 0.15 release. Quote, The test is the test of the software, but what's the test of the test? The software. To test the test, you must break the software. Greg Maxwell. Free Market Competition BitMEX wrote a great article about the ecosystem of Bitcoin implementations. There are over a dozen different Bitcoin-compatible implementations, and even more competing network implementations. This is the freedom of open source. Anyone who is dissatisfied with the efforts of the Bitcoin Core project is free to start their own project. They can do so from scratch, or they can fork the core software. At the time of writing, 96% of reachable Bitcoin nodes are running some version of Bitcoin Core. Why is this the case? How can Bitcoin Core have near-monopoly status over the network of nodes if the effort required to switch to another software implementation is minimal? After all, many other implementations provide RPC APIs that are compatible with or at least highly similar to Bitcoin Core. I believe that this is a result of Bitcoin Core being a focal point for development. It has orders of magnitude more developer time and talent backing it, which means that the code produced by the Bitcoin Core project tends to be the most performant, robust, and secure. Node operators don't want to run the second best software when it comes to managing money. Also, given that this is consensus software and the Bitcoin protocol does not and arguably cannot have a formal specification, because no one has the authority to write one, it's somewhat safer to use the focal point implementation because you're more likely to be bug-for-bug bug compatible with most of the rest of the network. In this sense, the code of the development focal point is the closest thing to a specification that exists. Who are the core developers? People who are unfamiliar with the Bitcoin Core development process may look at the project from the outside and consider Core to be a monolithic entity. This is far from the case. 
There are frequent disagreements between core contributors, and even the most prolific contributors have written plenty of code that has never been merged into the project. If you read the guidelines for contributing, you may note that they are fairly loose. The process could be best described as, quote, rough consensus. Quote, Maintainers will take into consideration if a patch is in line with the general principles of the project, meets the minimum standards for inclusion, and will judge the general consensus of contributors. Who are the Bitcoin Core maintainers? They are contributors who have built up sufficient social capital within the project by making quality contributions over a period of time. When the existing group of maintainers believes that it would be prudent to extend the role to a contributor who has exhibited competence, reliability, and motivation in a certain area, they can grant commit access to that person's GitHub account. The lead maintainer role is for someone who has oversight over all aspects of the project and is responsible for coordinating releases. It has been voluntarily passed along over the years. Satoshi Nakamoto, from January 3, 2009 to February 23, 2011. Gavin Andreessen, from February 23, 2011 to April 7, 2014. Vladimir van der Laan, from April 7, 2014 to present. Acting as a Bitcoin Core maintainer is often referred to as janitorial work because maintainers don't actually have the power to make decisions that run contrary to the consensus of contributors or of the users. However, the role can be quite taxing due to the extra attention from the ecosystem at large. For example, Gregory Maxwell gave up his maintainer role in 2017 for personal reasons, likely due to the public pressure he experienced during the scaling debate. Vladimir wrote a thoughtful post about the stress of being a core maintainer and why it was appropriate to remove Gavin's commit access, which upset a lot of people. Similarly, when Jeff Garzik was removed from the GitHub organization, he and others were upset about it, but he had not contributed to core in two years. Leaving his GitHub account with write access to the repository was providing no benefit to the project. It was only creating a security risk, and violated the principle of least privilege to which Vladimir referred to in his post. Others may look at Core and believe it to be a technocracy or ivory tower that makes it difficult for new entrants to join. But if you speak to contributors, you'll find that's not the case. While only a dozen people have had commit access over the years, hundreds of developers have made contributions. I myself have made a few small contributions. While I don't consider myself a Core developer, I technically am one. No one can stop you from contributing. Quote, In 2011, as a high school student who didn't understand what a pointer was, the Bitcoin Core org developer community, especially people like Greg Maxwell, Peter Wella, etc., worked with me to make my shitty patches worth merging and made it a great environment to learn in. Matt Corallo, November 18, 2018. Quote, In 2016, the Blue Mat organized a residency at Chaincode Labs, I'd been reading everything about Bitcoin I could lay my hands on, but hadn't dared submit a PR. Matt, Alex, and Suess were extraordinarily generous with their time in teaching us about Bitcoin and how to contribute. John Newberry, November 18, 2018. Quote, I started making small commits to Bitcoin Core Org and was in awe of the engagement on my PRs by Marco Falk, Peter Wella, Orion, Luke Dasher, and J.F. Newberry. Such a welcoming project. Jeff Raid. November 19th, 2018. One of the most difficult things for people to wrap their mind around seems to be 
that the focal point for Bitcoin development is not simply the structure that is defined by the Bitcoin Core GitHub account. While Bitcoin Core has some structure, it uses centralized communications channels in order to coordinate, the project itself is not subject to being controlled by any of its participants, even those who have escalated privileges on the GitHub repository. While it is technically possible for a maintainer-organized coup to hijack the GitHub repository, censor dissenting developers, and perhaps even maintain the brand name of Bitcoin Core, the result would be that Bitcoin Core would stop being the development focal point. Developers who disagreed with the actions of the maintainers would simply fork the code and shift their work to a different repository over which the Bitcoin Core maintainers had no administrative privileges. Even absent a coup per se, if a controversial change did somehow make it into Core, some developers would fork the software, remove the controversial change, and make it available for users. You could argue that this is exactly what happened when Amory Sachet forked Bitcoin Core and removed the segregated witness functionality to create Bitcoin ABC. Alternatively, if Core rejects proposed changes that some people want, developers can fork it and add those changes. This has happened many times, such as when Mike Hearn forked Core to create Bitcoin XT, Andrew Stone forked Core to create Bitcoin Unlimited, and Jeff Garzik forked Core to create BTC1. Forking the code is easy. Shifting the focal point of Bitcoin development is hard. You must convince contributors that their time is better spent contributing to a different project. Quote, I hold allegiance to no man, to no dev team in Bitcoin. My intention is to run the code that I judge best protects my financial sovereignty. Jameson Lopp, March 18th, 2017. It's also hard to convince many people that users do not blindly follow Bitcoin Core's changes. This may be a self-reinforcing belief, because if users don't participate in the consensus process by staying aware of their options, they are ceding some of their power to developers. However, the power of the users was exercised during the User Activated Soft Fork, or UASF, movement of 2017. An anonymous Bitcoin developer using the pseudonym Shaolin Fry proposed BIP-148, which would force miners to activate segregated witness functionality at a block height that would occur near August 1st. However, BIP-148 proved to be too controversial to be adopted by Bitcoin Core, so Shaolin Fry forked Core and made Bitcoin UASF software available. This software implementation gained a non-trivial amount of traction and seemed to create sufficient pressure to convince miners to adopt BIP-91 to activate the fork before the BIP-148 deadline. In my opinion, the best Bitcoin Core contributors are those who practice extreme ownership. Case in point, while John Newberry did not write the code that contained this particular consensus bug, he feels responsible for not preventing it from being merged via careful review and for not finding it later while writing test cases. Quote, I am responsible for the CVE 2018-17-144 bug. John Newberry, September 24, 2018. We are all Satoshi. 
Contributing to Bitcoin Core It can feel daunting to start contributing to Core, though there are plenty of resources available to help aspiring developers. The guidelines for contributing can be found here, though you may wish to start off with Jimmy Song's gentle introduction to Bitcoin Core development. Core developer Eric Lombroso also penned a piece about understanding how changes take place within the Core repository. Quote, the Bitcoin Core Merge Process. Alex B. wrote an excellent article about the philosophy behind Bitcoin development. Anyone who wants to become a serious contributor can save themselves a lot of time by reading this. Newcomers may also be interested in joining the Bitcoin Core PR Review Club to see how code reviews are performed. A specific example may be helpful. While writing this article, I encountered difficulties while trying to run the verifycommits.py script on my machine in order to audit the integrity of the GitHub commit history. In order to save future developers from having to deal with these issues, I opened a pull request to improve the documentation. As you can see from the PR history, four different developers chimed in with suggestions for how I could improve my pull request. This ranged from using different wiki markup to a simplified bash command to a new parameter that could be used in the verifycommits.py script. I agreed that all of the suggestions made sense, so I incorporated them into my code and pushed an updated version for my pull request. At that point, the developers who were participating in the review acknowledged that they found the PR to be acceptable and maintainer Marco Falk tagged it for inclusion in the 0.18 release. After several more days went by with no objections from developers, the code was merged into core by maintainer Samuel Dobson. Who controls Bitcoin? As I've argued extensively over the years, it's practically impossible to fully comprehend Bitcoin as a system. The definition or control of Bitcoin the protocol is like the definition of a language. Languages emerge spontaneously. The consensus over the meaning of words is organic rather than dictated by dictionaries. Much as dictionaries describe the phenomenon of a language rather than define it, so do Bitcoin implementations describe the language of Bitcoin with code. No one is forced to agree with the definition of a given word in a dictionary. Neither are they forced to agree with code in a given Bitcoin implementation by running it. Languages are not governed by democracy, and neither is Bitcoin. While you may hear people make references to miners, nodes, developers, or users, quote, voting, there is no such mechanism that can enable a majority vote of any kind to coerce a minority of dissenters into accepting changes with which they disagree. Bitcoin is anarchy, without rulers, but not without rules. The rules are defined and enforced by individual participants on the network. While changes to the Bitcoin protocol itself are usually made via the Bitcoin improvement proposal process, even this is only a recommended best practice, and no one can be forced to follow it. It is merely a more formalized way of trying to guide a change through a process of peer review and consensus building. As difficult as this is to explain and understand, it is a crucial aspect to Bitcoin's anti-fragility. If there was a single point of control, it would also be a single point of failure that would be exploited by powerful entities that are threatened by Bitcoin's success. 
Ultimately, each node operator governs themselves by ensuring that no one else on the network is breaking the rules to which they agree. This security model is the foundation for Bitcoin's bottom-up governance. No one controls Bitcoin. No one controls the focal point for Bitcoin development. All right, let's take a break for our sponsor. And speaking of, I want to take today's swan slot and talk about the Bitcoin canon. Um, this is something that I feel like people have maybe forgotten about or something because I don't hear about it a whole lot. But Bitcoin, Swan Bitcoin, I, when I say Swan Bitcoin is one of the best resources, they have one of the best, like they literally reached out. They did this entire project called the Bitcoin Canon, where they reached out to tons of the top and most knowledgeable people in the space to build a curated list of content and educational resources on specific topics. So literally any topic any FUD, any of this, I, am, I have no doubt in my mind that this article by Jameson Lopp is probably in that list, probably somewhere where it makes a lot of sense, <laughs> probably on Jameson Lopp's page. Jameson Lopp has a page on the Bitcoin Canon, but it is legitimately one of the best resources. I have my own page up there, and it's just about the overall idea of Bitcoin, what is Bitcoin and how to think about it. It's titled, What the Hell Even Is Bitcoin, actually? But it genuinely is. This, this is one of the reasons why I say not only you can buy Bitcoin at, uh, at Swan, you can set up an automatic savings plan, you can do the IRA thing, you can buy it as an entity. Like buy, Purchases are up to like $10 million or more even if you're like Swan Private. There's automatic withdrawals to your hardware wallet. They literally have service to to like hands-on service to help you set up your hardware wallet to guide you through it if like you're confused or any of this is unfamiliar which it is for so so many people but they literally also are just like the the reason I just say just go to swan it is because they practically have the best list of pure signal out there for resources on learning or figuring or understanding anything about this stuff they really are just a great resource, and I highly recommend them if you're getting into Bitcoin. Just go to swanbitcoin.com guy, and that also helps out the show. So I really appreciate that as well. So check them out in the show notes. And with that, let's get back into the guy's take. All right, that wraps up Jameson Lop's piece on who controls Bitcoin core. And, you know, in answering that question um or the the general fud or the the argument that's put out i mean clearly i think jameson lop did a pretty thorough job of just kind of laying out the incredible nuance and the many many different moving pieces and i think one thing to point out is just that like if bitcoin core if the bitcoin core client controlled the github I mean, excuse me, uh, controlled the network, controlled like what code was running on the network. Well, then GitHub would basically have a backdoor key to the entire ecosystem. They could just put in whatever code that they wanted, which would obviously be just as absurd. And, you know, they point out that Bitcoin Core is like 96 or 98, whatever it is, is like a overwhelming majority of the nodes. And it's because it has the largest developer base and it's the most careful, intricate development process that they have. 
or at least of any client has, it is more secure because there are more eyes on it and there are more intelligent, incredibly careful, incredibly conservative engineers looking at this day in and day out. It has coalesced around Bitcoin Core because it's the best quality. It's the best, most reliable client to run Bitcoin. But the funny thing is, is like it's not as if every time they push an update, 98% of the uh, nodes update. And that, that just means that their code is always running on the network. Not only are there competing clients that one or two that I have run myself, mostly just out of experimentation, because obviously I, I don't have any reason to not run Bitcoin Core. But there's also tons of different versions of Bitcoin Core being run on the network. Like if I don't like, if I still trust that they have the best software that is the most reliable and the most resilient node, uh, node software, but they push an update that I don't like, I can just not update. I can still just run the same client. And the fact that I was still showing up as running Bitcoin Core would have no indication or have no meaning whatsoever in the context as to whether or not a handful of developers who have commit access to a GitHub account, that a GitHub repository, that simply hosts the latest version of a client. But the fact that that is there doesn't mean anything for the network. And it certainly doesn't mean that that's going to be the one that the majority of people are running. A lot of people don't update, and most updates happen very, very slowly. A lot of people are very careful. And that's a pretty good practice, too. One, one thing that's actually one of the few reasons that I think it's actually helpful to have two nodes. Generally, I think having two nodes is just overkill and doesn't make any sense unless you're a nerd and you like to play around with it. Um, but uh, one of the reasons that I do like having two nodes is I... Uh, I have an older client and I have a newer client or well I just have one that I uh, get into a habit of updating more often and I leave the other one unupdated and I do that specifically in case there is a potential bug I'm, I'm not a huge fan of taking the next update super quickly and it's amazing just how many things are overlooked the the level of like if you just go watch or go read explore what goes on with the developers and stuff how much everybody disagrees there's tons of arguing and about like what path to take i mean every single even slightly could be meaningful update usually has very very long periods of just fighting about what to be done and finding this rough minimum consensus over what it is i mean just trying to update Taproot, which did have consensus among the whole development community as a useful upgrade, as something that everybody desired. J we spent years arguing about how to update, about how, how long we would take, how long you would wait, when the soft fork would clear, whether it would be compatible with this thing or not. And it wasn't even about the update itself. It was just about how to go about it. And anybody who lived through the block size wars or read, uh, read the block size war, which I highly recommend and I did the audio book for, and it's, it really is a phenomenal book and is such a fascinating part of the history. It's so, it's so funny looking back on it now because it was crazy. It was so crazy when like being there, but it's funny to see, to look back now 
and think that this was I mean, I guess it did. It did feel like a super important part of Bitcoin history, but it's still it's something about hindsight. It's just it puts it in a new light. Um, but that book is a phenomenal retelling. In fact, like not only was I super stoked to get to do the audiobook for it, but also it was just really cool to kind of relive a lot of that stuff. I didn't get to go to, I was basically reading online about the outcomes and, you know, watching little videos and listening to things, anything that I could get my hands on around a lot of these um, uh, meetings and agreements and all of this stuff that had been going on and these these huge debates where they were trying to get miners and developers and, uh, you know, exchanges and stuff into the same room to fight this thing out. And it was such a crazy crazy thing and to know that history to even to have just read the book and then think that bitcoin core runs that, that that somebody controls this like it's not even who controls bitcoin core it's why do you think bitcoin core controls the network and i really think what the the answer to this really is is what jameson lop opened his article with was that it's projection is that it's an insanely nuanced and difficult thing to wrap your head around the the idea of decentralization and the idea that there isn't a center to this like it is so natural for humans to try to label things i mean just look at the arguments that happen around bitcoin maximalism that like udi just says that there, this is a bitcoin maximalist and even in defense we do the same thing like we can't I, we can't get our heads around the fact that there isn't an actual thing there and that there's a huge range of people who behave and think differently about this issue. But our stupid monkey brains can do nothing but like take in this entire group of people and just label it, personify it as this one asshole or idiot in our head that we can argue with. And then we project that on every single person that we talk to. Our perspective is so important in us being able to make sense of the rest of the world. And so if we have like a psychotically narrow and uh, uh, unadaptable idea about how these things work, or we can't get out of the fact that we can't be a little bit humble in the face of realizing that it's just in incredibly difficult to imagine it's just not something that we are designed to be able to think it's like it's like being able to think linearly versus exponentially the human brain is not an exponential tool we just completely fall apart when we think of exponentials it's very easy to think linearly like if i say you know walk one step and then and then say you know what is about 23 steps out like just like kind of point to it the average person can do a pretty good job of that. And you're like, okay, it's somewhere right around there. It's at least in the ballpark. But if you ask the average person to go 23 doublings out, they would probably just point way, way further out without realizing that it's likely closer to the moon. So in that same sense, somebody in crypto, somebody, a, a normie who just got here, and sees a team building Celsius or Matic or Thorchain or whatever crap. And they just, they just come in and they're just following. Because it's 
specifically split off from some other project with like these two guys who just want to do it their way. And then they've started a website and they made a white paper and everybody talks about how great the community is. And everybody talks about how they've got new partnerships with these companies. Bitcoin doesn't make partnerships with companies. It can't. There's nothing there. For them to think that just because they're running a piece of software, that means it's decentralized without understanding any of the nuance or the depth in actually making a, a non-central, a decentralized, open, impossible to control network. And they've just bought some shitcoin token waiting for the developers to make some sort of partnership with Microsoft so that it skyrockets in price. When that's their level of understanding of course they are going to project that onto Bitcoin. They're just going to turn and look and see the same centralized company because they don't, even, they don't know how to see anything else. And it's not like it's easy. It's not like you, just, you can just say something is decentralized and then that means we all understand what it means and we have a genuine, like, accurate image in our head of what the hell that means. And I don't even think like something like an article still only gets part of it across. It's just a complicated thing that we aren't designed to think about. That's why when you say, oh, the market will figure it out, people personify it and they say, well, why would the market regulate itself? They don't think of this giant, complex, interwoven system of incentives and players being against each other, producing a better, positive result. They don't, they, they see, they think that having the free market quote-unquote regulate itself is just chaos is just no regulation without realizing how many pl like thoughtful players p rational actors there are in building out cooperation and that there are incentives to work together as opposed to work against each other we do we make the same mistake so much in politics in all these things we are dumb we are stupid monkeys who are part of a system that's vastly larger than any of us can possibly imagine and the the thing that we constantly do is try to dumb it down. We try to personify it. And then in our complete and utter abysmal failure to actually get an accurate picture of this thing, because we're thinking about it like a map. We're looking at a map that says that here's a forest and then thinking that means that we understand the leaves and the sunlight and the vast array of different plants and animals working together and the insects that create this and that are fighting, that create this, this balance, this ecosystem ecosystem that grows and sustains we're just looking like a green colored blob on a map our idea of what society is and how government should run it in some centralized top-down manner is as dumb as thinking you saw and understood the forest when you looked at that stupid green spot on a map and it is that perspective that makes people who are a part of something where they're just a spectator. They're just there looking and waiting for somebody else to do a thing. They don't know how to see anything else. That's why they're still there. And in our infinite ignorance, we constantly make stupid, terrible decisions. And we create this narcissistic, arrogant, monopolistic institution that we call government that's going to run society for us. And it just accelerates in feedbacks on our own ignorance and our own desire to control each other and are just being certain that we're the ones that know how to tell everybody else what to do and make society better. When think about just the scope of what kind of problems we have in our own lives. Like, is your room clean right now? Is your, are your dishes done? 
Are you up to date on your to-do list? Is all of your shit together and in order and so perfectly planned and meticulously understood and well thought out that you could run that same system for every single person in the country or the world? I safely bring up those examples because I know your dishes aren't done. I know your to-do list is mad. Practically nobody has their shit together, and yet we could all be so unbelievably arrogant as to think that we can run the world. This is why decentralization matters. Because nobody's got the answer. We're all part of something that is way bigger and way, way more complex than any of us can actually imagine. And a sound money is such a great example of one of those tools that can take advantage of and respond to this ocean of information and knowledge that is part of everyone, that is, that is a reflection of what, is, what the values and the knowledge and the information and the experiences of every single person in that society, because none of us are smart enough to even begin to account for all of that information, and that is what makes it a scaling technology. That is what makes it an insanely powerful and liberating force because it makes us, it allows us to work together and it is able to respond to all of that knowledge that even we don't understand and cannot by nature understand. It is an impossibility. The best we can do is secure the base incentives, the simple fundamental premise and principles that guide it and secure those in a monetary good that cannot be corrupted and then let the complex system work itself out. Now that's quite the kind of abstract rant about this issue, but I think it's such an indication of just of how people think that they can look at that and simply not see the depth. And that is really what I think is going on, is that if you're not purposefully understanding and trying to find it, we're not going to. And so when new people come to this space, when they land in crypto following some crypto project and waiting for the developers to update in some Discord room about this exciting new update, and I will tell you this, I did this. I did this. I know the feeling. I know what it was like to be a part of it. And I knew there was something wrong. And it took me a really long time and a lot of money, unfortunately, a big chunk of Bitcoin, in order to understand this problem myself. But when they come in and think that's what decentralization is, when they have equated to the words something that isn't decentralized, then they really wouldn't have a way to distinguish it if they ever saw it. And honestly, by the nature of being in a complex ecosystem and a, uh, a, a pushing and pulling a, a large collection of disparate influences and opinions and players in the ecosystem. The structure itself just isn't definable. The best we can do is just kind of observe a lot of the pieces. It's like saying, like, is that a forest? It's like, okay, well, what's a forest? It's like, well, it usually has bugs and then some animals and some birds eat the bugs. And then, you know, there's trees growing out of the ground. Like, if you had to describe all of the different participants in a forest and then attempted to maybe top-down manage that forest. It would be a disaster. In fact, we've seen this. Governments have tried to manage forests. That was a thing. 
And trust me, it doesn't work. You should actually read about those stories. They're very interesting and probably a really good allegory to what's happening, what, what's going wrong with everything today. But just because of the nature of that, of decentralization itself, it just makes sense that it would be really difficult to identify to begin with. You know, it's not so much, I talk about, I've talked about this analogy quite a few times, but it's probably been a long while. We've probably got a lot of new listeners since the last time I talked about it, but that decentralization is, I think, is better understood as a process and as better understood as something that's earned, so to speak. And focusing on the idea of it being a process, it's a feedback loop that maintains itself and, and has a has even the slightest bit of positive feedback in the sense that it gets more resilient, that node count grows just a little bit over time, that it gets a little bit easier to run one or to get the resources in order to maintain one or to be incentivized to, to do so. And over a long enough span of time, there's just that many more players involved. There's that many more disparate interests who are maintaining this thing and who are incentivized to protect and help it. And that it increasingly gets easier to do so, that decentralization increases with time, that it's critical that that part of the process remains true and that you do not break through that threshold to any sort of negative feedback. Because even if it's like 1% feedback where – because the, the network is always going to grow. The time chain is always going to get longer and more difficult to maintain. But the idea is that the resource requirements and the cost of the resources outpace the cost of maintaining and running a fully validating node, while also the incentives to do so continue to increase. As long as that feedback loop is positive, we can be reliably or, or largely secure in knowing and understanding that Bitcoin is going to get stronger and more decentralized and more resilient and more immutable as time goes on. And I think we have seen every indication that that is in fact true. But if that feedback loop is 1% negative, that every year a few less nodes come online and the ability to start up a new node becomes so bandwidth onerous that you, you, can't, even, you can't even begin to think about trying to sync from the beginning, that it takes five weeks and a huge server and a couple hundred dollars a month just to keep the thing in sync or that it's proof of stake and every year uh every as everybody stakes the the people with the most stake actually outpace everyone else that it's literally a built-in mathematical feedback loop to centralization and while at the exact same time the the group of people who are the stakers have to agree to have other people join in the staking again if it's only like one percent negative feedback it doesn't matter at the end of the road the thing is so centralized that we go through this process all over again this this government collapse everything's out of balance if we are using that system if it is not more sustainable at the end of the year than it was at the beginning of the year it's not going to be better in 20 years it's not going to be better in 30 years what we will see that far out is just that it gets totally captured. So the analogy that I was uh, mentioning about the fact that decentralization is earned, I think a decentralized network, an ecosystem, can be better thought of like a forest, like an organism, like something that grows slowly over time and earns its place 
on the life playing field. And so the, the way to analogize or to think about a, uh, a fork or a completely new network that says, oh, we have all of the code of Bitcoin and we're a decentralized nodes too. And we're, you know, anybody can run the network and we're super decentralized and immutable and nobody can change us. It's like saying, you know, the, let's, let's say that we have this purpose that we're trying to achieve in the context of like Bitcoin and immutability or, you know, resiliency in the face of massive ad adversaries is let's say our, uh, we're talking about a human and their ability to cut down a tree, that, that this is this goal that we want them to be able to accomplish, to fork the code and start a new network and then to say that it is equally decentralized and it is equally immutable and nobody can control it and it can withstand a government adversary or whatever is like saying, is like having a completely new infant, infant. You clone a grown man and you make them into an embryo. You make them into an infant, a fetus in a womb. And then to claim that, yes, this fetus can in fact cut down a tree. When obviously it's not true. What you have is the recipe of a human that if it survives through all of the challenges of life can grow to a point where it can cut down a tree. But when you're comparing it to a lumberjack who has already been through hell, who has seen the world and has learned how to make mistakes and swing an axe and cut down a big freaking tree, you can't just say because you have his DNA that you can accomplish the same task. Decentralization is a possibility of the Bitcoin code base, but it is earned over a long time and through many challenges. And this is the moat that Bitcoin has. Bitcoin has been through hell and it remains. The community has been through fight after fight, FUD after FUD, legal restrictions, banning of mining, banning in this country, unbanning in this country. Taxes here, the whole half the network gets shut down and miners have to ship and spread out all across the world. The block size wars, multiple bugs, numerous changes of hands in the maintainers and the people who write and understand the code base of this crazy system. Decentralization is earned. And these are the tests that Bitcoin passed through its history. Again, I recommend the block size war if you have not read it. And what all of crypto has failed in. And most people think that, you know, kind of like a social network, what they're competing with with Bitcoin is the network effect. And while even Bitcoin's network effect is probably insurmountable by any competitor at this point, what they are hugely discounting and what is a critical part of money not merely as an information network, which is what a lot of people are picturing in their minds, but money as a value network. That it doesn't have just the network effect of communication, it has the trust effect. And that is the moat that I don't think anything even has a chance of surpassing. And the only thing that breaks that moat is if Bitcoin dies. And I don't know how many times I've said it on this show, but I truly and genuinely believe that if Bitcoin survives, that is all it has to do, Bitcoin wins. So yeah, this was a good article. Uh, appreciate Jameson a lot um, for writing this. You know, it kind of got me jazzed up. I like a lot of these ideas and it's, it's fun to think about. 
fun to rant about. I hope at least some of that was coherent. But I think this one will be a good one to share around to, to knock down that FUD. Um, just because I think... I mean, it's like I said, it's common. And I really think the only way to... Like, there's no quick way. It's just, it's just time, experience in the space, and repeated exposure to the ideas. Where you pick up another little piece every single time, and you're like, ah, it makes a little bit more sense now. So hopefully anybody who's willing to listen, the next time you encounter some FUD, you can send them this Jameson Lop article, which the audio of just the article will be, he'll have it on the website. So you can either do this episode, or if you don't want to give him the big weird rant at the end, you can send him straight to Jameson Lop's article. <laughs> and maybe it will make a difference. Maybe a little bit of light bulb will go on, or something, something will get a little bit of a glow at least. So, you know, the next time they get exposed to something, or the next time they hear something, they're a little bit more open to listening, or to to trying to get a more complete picture as to what's going on. Um, and, you know, over time, uh, just like we talked about with, uh, actually it was Jameson Lopp's last article on a history of Bitcoin maximalism, talking about how most people who become Bitcoin maximalists don't do so because Bitcoin maximalists told them to be Bitcoin only. It's because they went to crypto, they got their ass handed to them, they got scammed, or they just slowly over time realized what a mess it was over there and then finally ended up at Bitcoin. Most people go through crypto to Bitcoin. But over time, people see it. And Bitcoin will persist. And even the people who say they dislike it and come up with all the reasons in which it shouldn't work or it's certainly not going to work, even they will come to think of Bitcoin as something that just isn't going away. Going away. Something that they can trust is going to be there tomorrow and next year and the next year, whether for good or for bad. And that is when we will have hyper-Bitcoinization. When everyone trusts that Bitcoin isn't going anywhere. TikTok, next block. So check out lop.net. Uh, Lop is uh, Lop.net is a wonderful resource. Jameson Lop has been collecting all sorts. I mean, I, I used to use the f- absolute crap out of that website back in the day. Mostly, I've just built up my own resources and everything now. But I still find myself over there looking for old links and you know digging through stuff. And he's always got great writing. And like I said, I don't always agree with him, but I really, really value his opinion. So I'll have the link in the show notes if you want to go to his blog and dig into a lot of his other writing and a lot of the resources that he has. And while I'm doing audio for, of his lo- for a lot of his articles, um, they, will, they will all be over there on his website, uh, but we will probably be publishing them, some of them, just because I think they're timely articles, but also just topics that would definitely be worth covering on the show. So uh, I don't know exactly which ones, but probably a couple of them will be published at least uh, during that same time. So stay tuned. Don't forget to subscribe. Don't forget to get your Swan Bitcoin auto buy and auto withdraw sent straight to your cold card and stack your sats with your debit card to get it on your tap signer. Because that is how you live a magical Bitcoin life. And wouldn't you know it, they're all sponsors of this show. And we got some fun links and great discounts for you guys right there in the show notes. Thank you guys so much for listening. 
for staying to the very end of the rant and for the quote at the end. Do not forget to subscribe. There are always more episodes to come and hopefully a really exciting announcement pretty soon. A couple of those, actually. So stay tuned. I am Guy Swan. Until next time, everybody. Take it easy, guys. A complex system that works is invariably found to have evolved from a simple system that worked. The inverse proposition also appears to be true. A complex system designed from scratch never works and cannot be made to work. You have to start over, beginning with a working, simple system. John Gall from Systemantics This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.